0: I'd like to begin with a question, question, question that gives us two choices, and that is, which life would you choose if you had the choice? The first option is the life that is ordinary. You have an average job, an average income, and maybe at times you have to, to wonder if you'll have enough to pay the bills, but for the most part, you can buy the necessities. Your children are well-fed and they have clothes, but most are hand-me-downs or from thrift stores. You can buy them several gifts for Christmas, but nothing extravagant. You can't always go on a nice vacation. You have to work well past retirement age. Your life is ordinary. Would you choose this life, or would you choose the life that is well off? You have a job where you make plenty and have an abundant amount. You don't have to think much about how much you spend, what you're buying. You have a custom-made, very large house. You always have the newest cars, the most up-to-date technology and equipment. Your children can have everything that they desire. They get all the newest things on the market for Christmas. You vacation multiple times a year. Retirement comes early, and you can travel the world. Which life would you choose? The ordinary... Or the well-off. And as you think about this, be real. Be honest with yourself. You most likely have a tug towards the one. Your heart pulls you in the direction of the well-off. Of the well-off. What a life that would be. Maybe some here today are living such a life and you wouldn't want to give it up. It's nice, it's comfortable, it makes life on earth enjoyable. But what if I told you that the ordinary life above in in that scenario, you're a Christian. You have a relationship with the Lord. Though your children may not have the latest toys or technology, they're instructed in the ways of Christ. Though you may not get an early retirement, you continue to serve within God's church well into your 80s. Now which would you choose? The ordinary or the well-off? Has your answer changed? And as you think about this scenario, I do want to make a clarification, and that is, I'm not stating that someone who is well-off could not be a Christian. I'm not saying that. Our passage today is not saying that. But I give these scenarios based off of our passage in James today. It's a passage that will cause you to search your heart and see what you treasure. What do you desire? What do you long for? It's a passage that calls us to look at wealth and money in a way that I would say is backward from how our world looks at money. It's a passage that will show the ordinary when it comes to their finances, how they should view their life. And it is a passage that will call the well-off to search their heart and consider how they are viewing their wealth. It's a passage that addresses the ordinary and well-off, the average and the filthy rich, the poor and the wealthy. Our passage is James 1, 9 through 11 as Pastor Herb read for us. And our theme for this passage will be, James gives a proper and eternal view of one's finances. The theme of our passage today is that James gives a proper and an eternal view of one's finances. So this is a passage about finances and we see that right from the two different people Uh, that are talked about in our passage. If you look with me at verse 9, okay, we see this from how verse 9 begins. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. By lowly brother, this literally is speaking of someone who does not have a high social standing. They're not someone who is much in the world's eyes. As you look to them, you don't really desire their life. The world doesn't think much of these people. And I believe we can see this is talking more specifically about how much this person makes, how much, per, how much this person has concerning money based off of the next person that is talked about. If you look with me at verse 10, it says, "In the rich in his hum- humiliation. And then verse 11 uh, 2 then goes on to speak of the rich man. So James contrasts the lowly person with the rich, meaning the wealthy, someone who has a lot of possessions. So I believe by speaking of the lowly person, James is speaking of those who do not have an abundant amount of money. So not just someone that doesn't have a high social standing, but also someone who doesn't make an abundant amount. They could either be poor, or I believe this passage also just speaks of the person that is ordinary or average in what they have in their bank account. They make enough to get by, but not a lot. So this is a passage that is addressing how much you make, how much you have. And as we look more fully into this passage, I want to just kind of show us the road that we're headed down. The the first thing I want us to, to look at and see is how finances are discussed in the rest of James. Second, we're going to see how the average or the poor believer should view their finances. And third, we'll see how the rich unbelievers should view their finances. Then fourth, I want us to consider how does this passage about money fit into the other things we've already looked at and we'll see in James chapter 1. And then lastly, we'll close with some more specific uh, and direct points of application concerning, concerning our text. So I want to start off by looking at how we see finances or money discussed in the rest of the book of James. So if you turn with me to James chapter 2. Just turn a chapter over. James chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. And I want us to read all of these verses in this passage as they, they give us the lay of the land when it comes to finances for James. And we find that James talks about later in the letter of James how finances can impact your relationship with those within the church. Look with me at James 2, beginning at verse 1. It says, my, bro- my brothers, show no partiality, or it's another word for favoritism, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the one who, ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So James shows how when it comes to the church, our worship gatherings, how there can be a real temptation to treat people based off of how much they make, how much they have, if they're poor or if they're rich. You see, James addresses how our finances can affect not just our one-on-one relationships, or who you'll be friends with. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to believers, he has instructions concerning this favoritism. And I won't go into any more detail or more fully uh, right now about this text. We'll wait till we get there in the coming weeks. But a few shorter passages. If You just look back at James chapter 1 with me. James 1 verse 27. Okay, though the word poor or riches is mentioned. He talks about some people that certainly would be under the category of poor. In James 1.27, he talks about how they should be treated. It says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So finances aren't mentioned, but widows and, and orphans are mentioned. Certainly could be under this category of not having much financially. James chapter 2 also gives us just a, a short passage. James 2, 15 through 16. Talks, it gives an illustration about helping those who don't have much. Look with me at James 2, 15 through 16. It says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And then the last passage that we see talks about finances is James chapter 5, if you look with me there, verses 1 through 6. And it's actually a very similar passage to our passage this morning. James 5, 1 through 6, we find finances mentioned again. It says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So we see money is on James' mind when he writes this letter. Our passage this morning is just the beginning of James's discussion about finances, about how much you have, how much you don't have, and how you interact with others based off of what they have. So one of the maybe sub-themes or one of the topics that we'll find in James is finances, and our passage, passage just introduces that this morning. So now I want us to look directly at our passage. You can turn back to James 1, 9 through 11, and I want us to look at how the Christian who is ordinary or even poor, when it comes to their finances, should view their life. How the Christian who is ordinary or who has ordinary or little finances, what their perspective should be as they look at their life. Look with me at James 1, 9. This is how the passage begins, talking about this Christian. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Okay, we already looked at this word lowly, speaking of someone who is of a low social standing. And further, as I said, they're they're not abundantly wealthy. They don't have a a lot. They have average or even um, below average when it comes to their material possessions. And we see it's talking about a Christian, specifically as it says, let the lowly brother, brother, Brothers speaking of a brother in Christ, someone who has a relationship with the Lord. And James tells them how they are to view their life. We see this as, he says, let the lowly brother boast in. Okay, usually when we think about the word boasting, we think of it uh, negatively, as bragging, as sinfully having pride. But here James is not commanding them to sin, but rather by saying boast in, he's saying glory in, rejoice in, delight in something. And just to stop right there, as we think about this lowly brother, and he's being told to boast in something, as we think about being average in our finances or more so struggling financially, someone who is poor, we might ask, why should they rejoice or be glad? What do they have to glory in? Their life is ordinary at best. Their life may be a struggle. It's not comfortable. It's not filled with abundance. So how could James say they should glory or rejoice in something? But we find that James does not call them to consider their earthly possessions. They're they're to look beyond what they own materially. They're to look at something other than their bank account. Look with me again at verse 9 and see how it finishes. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. His exaltation. Exaltation means a high status, a high position. And again, just think about this, this full picture that we're getting. This again does not seem right. Considering his life, it's ordinary. There's not much to get excited about. He has just enough for the basic needs, not many special vacations. He doesn't have multiple houses. He cannot buy extravagant cars. His life does not seem exalted at all. His life should not be envied. No one would look at that life and think much of, much of it or that person. So you might wonder, is James trying to make something of being poor? Of being ordinary? Is he saying, this is the best and the most fulfilling life? As I said, James is calling the lowly brother, the person who's just ordinary or even poor in their finances, to look beyond their finances. To look beyond what they own, what they have. And rather here, James is calling the lowly brother to look at what he has in Christ. He's calling them to look beyond what they have and how much they have on this earth in material possessions and to look at and rejoice in their salvation from their sins. That is how the poor on earth are in an exalted position. That's how someone who the world doesn't think much of can be in a high position. Now you might be looking at verse 9 and thinking, how do we know James is exactly referring to this when we come to this word, exaltation. Well, if we look later in James, as, I ref- as he refers to the poor, we find an interesting commentary on this word poor, or, or talking about this lowly brother's life. Look with me just a chapter over. We already read this passage in full. Look with me at James chapter 2, verse 5, and look at what James says about the poor. James chapter 2, verse 5. It says, listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? So here's a place where he's talking about someone who doesn't have much financially but someone who has a lot spiritually. They are rich in faith, he says. He says they're heirs of the kingdom. They'll have eternal life with God someday. They may not have monetary riches, but they have spiritual riches because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. So these Christians, though they have a low position here on earth, they have a high position eternally. So they shouldn't be discouraged because they don't have as much as others. They shouldn't be envious of what the world looks at as famous or successful. They, should be motivated to work. they shouldn't They should be motivated to work harder or try to, to climb up the wealth ladder. But they should glory in their current status. Not because of their earthly status, but their heavenly status. They are a child of God. Their citizenship is in heaven. One day they will be with God and will be with him forever. That is what James means when he calls them, or when he says, the lowly brother is to glory in his exaltation. So I'd ask you to consider today, if this is you, if if you think about your life and you have an ordinary or an average uh, life, when it comes to how much you have, or maybe even you think about your life and you struggle financially, I'd ask you to consider this. Are you downcast because you don't have much financially? Are you constantly thinking about how you can make more, working more, trying to get another job, playing the lottery? Are you dreaming about what it would be like to have more? Do you desire to be someone that people befriend and like because you have a lot? We find that none of these should be our attitude. This should not be our concern or our perspective, but rather what we're to be thinking about and ultimately delighting in is our spiritual riches. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been saved from your sins and have a relationship with God, then this passage is teaching us that you have so much more than those who are rich, those who are popular, those who are well off and seem to have the best life. And again, just as we think about all of this, maybe you'd ask, how can you say you have so much more? As the reality is, the rich are still rich. They still can have what they want. They can do whatever they they desire. They can live comfortably, vacation at the best resorts. How do we as Christians have so much more than the rich? Well, we find this in the next verse. We find that we have so much more as we look at what James says concerning the rich. So look with me at verses 10 and 11 now, and James speaks of how the rich unbeliever should view their life. He says in James 1.10, just the first part, in the rich in his humiliation. So he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And then he goes on in verse 10 and he says, in the rich, in his humiliation. He's saying, in the rich, boast in his humiliation. Here when James speaks of the rich, I don't believe he's speaking about rich Christians, but rather one who's rich that is consumed with their money. This is what they prioritize. They prioritize it over Christ. He has no relationship with the Lord here. James speaks of their humiliation, which is a word that speaks of being lowly, being in a low position. He's the glory in his low position, his humiliating position, which doesn't seem to make much sense. seems like James has the wrong person. It's the rich who are high and honored. They're respected. They're revered. They're sought after. They're famous in the world's eyes. It is the wealthy that we would think of as exalted. It's the wealthy that are in a position that is desired. It's the wealthy that people become fans of. But James says no. They're humiliated. They're lowly. They're not in a desirable position. Why would he say this? Well, the rest of verse 10 and the rest of verse 11 states how so. James gives the reason that the rich are in a low position, and that is because they and their riches will come to nothing. Look with me at verse 10. It says, "In the rich in his, in his humiliation, and then here's the reason, Because, like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So James gives the illustration of a flower, James begins by saying that just like a flower, the rich man will pass away. James is saying just like a beautiful flower, it looks beautiful when you're looking at it, it's it's desirable, eventually that beauty, eventually that flower will die. It will come to an end. And so too he's saying the rich person, their life is beautiful, It's, it's attractive, you desire it. It will come to an end as well. James gives a fuller illustration of this flower in verse verse 11. He says, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So the flower is whittled by the sun. Its, its petals fall off, and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. And James likens this to the rich man, the one who devotes his whole entire life to, to what he can get, what he can gain, how much he can make. He says he will fade away in the midst of, of his pursuits. I want us to notice, I think it's important and there's a very important point we can get from it. I want us to notice when the rich person perishes. All right, look again at the very end of verse 11. It says, he will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. He will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. While he's trying to gain, while he's trying to accomplish more and more, while he's pursuing his wants and his desires, he will die. So it continues. He, there, he never reaches an end to what he wants, what will make him content, what will satisfy him. It continues till his life will end. He never gets to the end of, of being fully satisfied, fully content. So we find that the rich man, his pursuits... Do not satisfy his aims, his purposes in life do not ultimately fulfill him. So he continues and he continues till his death. He will continue all his life trying to get more and more. He will try to fulfill his happiness by buying things and he will die trying to do so. Showing that the rich man, the rich person's life. Though it may seem fulfilling, though it may seem satisfying, we may look at it and say, oh, I'd be so satisfied if I'd have what they have. It may seem like it will bring true contentment. We find here, it does not. The pursuit of riches leaves us wanting. That's what we see here. A pursuit of riches leaves us discontent, wanting more and more. We'll die in that pursuit. This is why I said the Christian has so much more than the rich. Spiritual riches are worth so much more than worldly riches because they last, and further, we find they satisfy. So I'd ask you, would you agree with this? As you think about this statement that a Christian has so much more than someone who has as much as they want on this earth, is this how you view your relationship with God? as worth so much more than the things that you could own. Is this how you view your money? Does it pale in comparison to the worth of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? This is what James is trying to get across in this passage. So what we have in this passage is that how we would naturally think of the poor and of the rich, and additionally how our world thinks of the poor and the rich, it's flipped in this passage. James flips it upside down. He reverses what we would normally think about the poor and the rich. We would usually think of the rich being the one who is exalted because they are in our society. We look up to them. We become fans of them. They're famous. We want to become like them. But the poor, on the other hand, are just average citizens or sometimes looked down upon or even they're treated poorly because of not having much. James flips this all upside down and he says, no, the reality is the poor, and specifically the poor Christian, are exalted. And the rich, the one who devotes his entire life to earthly things, he is the one who is humiliated. When it comes to eternal things, it is the Christian who have the high status and the non-Christian who have the low status. What we own in this world will be gone. It's temporary. It brought enjoyment for a season, but it's not lasting. James gives a very counter-cultural message and perspective in this passage. He totally reverses how we might be tempted to think about the poor and the rich, showing that it does not ultimately matter what you own, it does not matter what you have in your bank account, but what matters is what your relationship with Christ is. And here we find what I believe is the connection to the rest of chapter 1. We've seen for two weeks now in James, James has been talking about trials and hardships and suffering. He very clearly continues. We're going to see in our passage next week when it comes to verse 12, that word trials comes up again. I believe he's just continuing all the way through talking about trials and hardships, even in our passage. I believe that James especially... In addressing the poor or the average Christian in this passage, he's talking about trials, he's talking about hardship when it comes to our finances. How much we do or don't have can bring great stress and difficulty upon our life. And further, we're going to see this later in James, how you're treated because of how much you have or your status in this world can be very negative. James shows how this is the case uh, as I said later in the passage, even in that chapter, James chapter 5 passage uh, that we already read. So James is continuing this trial theme now in our passage by talking specifically about hardship that comes depending on how much you have financially, how much you have materially. But there's another connection as well to the context of James chapter 1, and I said James flips upside down what we would normally think about our finances, how us or the world would normally look at the poor and the rich. This is the wisdom that James spoke about last week. James said in verse 5 of chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. We found this wisdom is, is understanding God's ways, how God views things and living according to them. And wisdom teaches us what our perspective should be, and how we should live in light of that perspective. Our very first passage gave us some of this wisdom. It said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So the wisdom given there is how you should view your trials, how you should look on them. Should you be depressed? No, James says you should have joy. You should be glad you're experiencing such a thing because of the godly character that comes from it. And now in our passage, James gives us another bit of this wisdom in trials, and that's wisdom in our finances and how we should view money. We find that it does not come close to our relationship with him. It means nothing in the long run, and this should cause us to glory and rejoice in our exaltation and our relationship with the Lord and how this this will impact our future and not ultimately what we have. In our passage, James teaches them how to live in wisdom while being poor. So James here in our passage presents a a very specific trial. And he gives us godly wisdom to address it. So now I want us to think about how this specifically applies to us. We've, We've thought about this some. I've asked you some questions to reflect upon it. But now I want us to think about some specific points of application this is a passage that teaches us what we must ultimately value and prioritize above all things it's not our money it's not our bank accounts it's not having the newest and nicest thing nicest things on earth but it's our relationship with God and the first way I want us to consider applying this is to consider what are your goals what are you trying to accomplish what is your aim in life is it to make the most money you can is it so that you can buy what you want and go on the trips you'd like to go on? Is it so that when it comes to your work time, you can have a relaxing retirement? As you think about your goals in life, do they revolve around money? Is that your number one priority? Is it money that is, the most, is most often on your mind. We find from our passage today that our goals and our aim in life should revolve around Christ. That should be our number one priority. We should be thinking about how we can serve Christ, how we can use our gifts within his church, how we can share his gospel with a lost world. So I'd ask you, what are you aiming at in life? I think that will tell you if you have a proper view of money, that James is advocating for. Another point of application, I can think of of being in a a class, I can't remember if it was in in middle school or high school, where we had to research potential careers. We had to kind of set a career path, pick a job that we really want to pursue. We would pick our classes based off this. This would determine if we needed to go to college or not. And I remember one of the the main things that was was emphasized and stressed to us is, is make sure you look at how much you will make in this job. To pursue a job that would pay a lot is how we were instructed in this, this class to think about potential jobs for the future. As I said, this would dic- dictate the whole path we would go on then in high school, what classes we should take, what, if we needed to go to college or not. So I would say children, teens, college students, as you consider your future, as you consider what job You have, don't let how much you'll make be the only or even, I'd say, the main thing you consider. What should be considered first is what has God called me to do? What gifts has he given me? What desires has he given me uh, in my life? Money should not be the only or even the main consideration Kids, teens, college students, as you think about your career, as you think about your job, money shouldn't be the only or even the main consideration, but it should be, what has God called me to do with my life? And then I'll give another point of application for the children, and then give one for their parents. Children and teens, what this passage is teaching you is what you value, what to value when you consider your family and what your parents can provide for you. You might look at other families and you might see that for Christmas they got the newest PlayStation, they got the newest clothes, you might hear of kids who have TVs in their bedrooms, they have pools in their yards, families where they go on several exotic vacations a year, and you might long to be in that family. You might wish, I wish my parents would have gotten gotten me those things. I wish my parents made more money that you could have all of these things. But the point here is that you have a much greater family and have been given so much more if your parents have taught you about Jesus Christ and the gospel message. You have so much more if your parents have made the church a priority from your family, for your family. You have so much more if your parents take the time to pray with you and answer your questions and just talk to you about how things are going in your life and, more importantly, your relationship with the Lord. You have way more more than those families that are more wealthy than yours. Kids, treasure the way your parents raised you. And also, kids, thank your parents for giving you the thing that lasts. Those vacations and playstations and TVs will mean nothing for eternity. Where you stand with Christ will. And there's a lesson for parents as well. As you think about providing the best life for your children, as you think about what you will work for, work for your children to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, rather than them to have all that they would like. Work for them to become strong and mature Christians rather than for them to have the latest technology or the newest toys. Don't feel like you're failing your children if they cannot have the newest game system or or experiences that other children have. Parents, the greatest thing that you can give your children is Christ and his gospel. Let that be what you prioritize for your family, not wealth, not what you can give your children, materially. The Christmas gifts you got them, the vacations you brought them on, the house they lived in will mean nothing eternally. But where they stand with Christ will mean everything. So each one of us, no matter what stage of life you are in, retirees, those who have worked for many years, those who are just beginning their careers, parents, children, college students, teens, kids, we must consider how we view our money. What place does it hold in your life? So James 1, 9 through 11 gives us a proper view on money. What place should it have in your life? It's a view that Matthew 6, 19 through 21 also gives. Jesus on the sermon, or in the Sermon on the Mount. What he says there goes hand in hand with our passage. He says this in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also what you value, what you prioritize, what you pursue, what you treasure, that is where your heart will be. That is what you ultimately will serve. That is what you love. Is it God or is it money? One lasts, one does not. One will last forever. One will fade away. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage that brings to our mind how much we have, how much we own, the material things that we have uh, gained and accumulated over the years, how much we have in our bank account. And Lord, it teaches us something that goes completely against our natural desires. It goes completely against the grain of this world and what it teaches us and what it calls us to prioritize. And Lord, I pray that your word would be a wake-up call for us this morning. That your word, as it talks about money and finances, would totally change, maybe bring us back on track with what you call us to think about and view and ultimately treasure when it comes to what we have, what we have financially. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that we have so much more when it comes to our relationship with you, that that would be what we prioritize, what we treasure, what we make decisions on about for our families, what we make decisions about for, for our lives, and what we will do, what jobs we will have. Lord, I pray that you would help us to value and to treasure what you have accomplished for us on the cross more than anything we can gain in this world. Lord, I pray that you would help us to truly have a different mindset and a different view and perspective when it comes to our money. Lord, if we've, if we've started to make decisions or, or had priorities that really revolved around money, Lord, help us to think about the ways that we can change, uh, the specific ways that we can live differently, and uh, even how it's affected our families. Lord, give us the wisdom to do so. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to treasure you our relationship with you over anything that we can earn in this life. And in your name I pray, amen.